In our ongoing supervisory process, we have made demands of the Bank of America in terms of their so board and management. So you give them the money first, and then you start supervising? Well, we have the ability to uh, insist on these changes at any point. Hello, and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg in New York, and today I'm joined by a very special guest host from WNYC, Lisa Chow. Hey, Lisa. Hi, Alex. Thanks for being here with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, today is Friday, June 26th, and at the top you heard Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke being grilled by Representative Dennis Kucinich at a hearing about Bank of America's takeover of Merrill Lynch. So, Lisa, on the show today, we're talking about a fascinating world full of power, money, intrigue, and scandal. That's right, scandal. Yes. Of course, I refer to public pension funds. Yeah, very sexy. <laughs> but it is, um, as you as your reporting has uncovered. Um, and we're going to be talking to you all about uh, this fascinating and sometimes scandalous world of pension funds. Um, but first, as you know, on Planet Money, we always do a Planet Money indicator. Right. And today, our indicator is 1.4. 1.4. 1.4%. That is the uh, amount by which personal income increased in May wow. month, according to the Bureau of Economic Analysis. Now, you know, you dig into the numbers, a lot of that comes from stimulus spending. The government um, cut payroll taxes, um, so that means every single worker gets uh, an extra $8 on the check. And so that adds up to this, you know, 1.4% increase. Um, there's sort of a corollary number, which is 6.9%. That is the savings rate now. So the savings rate was hovering around zero uh, a couple of years ago, um, and 6.9%, that's the highest it's been since 1993. Okay, let us move on to the issue at hand, pension funds. You have been doing a lot of a lot of reporting on this world. You want to talk a little bit about that? Right. Um, there is a case here in New York that uh, was really started by the New York Attorney General, Andrew Cuomo, as well as the feds. The feds are investigating into this a little bit as well. And it kind of uncovered a very interesting world of pension funds and Wall Street that I started really digging into as I was reporting the story. Right. So you sort of started looking at the the scandal. And then, you, and then as you started learning about the scandal, you realized, like, wait a minute, there's this whole world of pension funds and how it interacts with all of us that, that you found interesting. Right, right. Yeah. So, so we're going to get to the scandal later in the program, but, but before we even understand what the scandal was, you sort of have to understand how pension funds work. And basically, pension funds, you know, are just big pools of savings. You know, it's everybody right. who works in the state of New York, in, this, in the New York State Pension Fund, everybody who works in the state of New York, they pay money into this, into this fund, and then when they retire... That fund pays out their retirement savings, and right. these big they actually it's not even just the workers paying in the states the state pays in all of the munis- municipalities pay into this fund right and what used to happen basically is that these pension funds would invest this money, this big pool of money into sort of normal things stocks and bonds right right, and then that changed basically around two thousand and three they started shifting money from stocks and bonds into other asset classes. And I talked to a professor, Roy Smith, at New York University's Stern School of Business. The pension funds had taken quite a hammering in that period following the Enron uh, crisis, and they needed to get some sort of return in their stock portfolios or they were going to be in danger of having no equity in the pension funds at all. 
So they felt some extremists, and they wanted to do what the smart people seemed to be doing, the ones at Harvard and Yale that had made money throughout all of this uh, difficult time, because they were very heavily invested in these alternative asset classes. So we saw a shift of $1 trillion uh, from uh, ordinary assets into hedge funds and another $1 trillion into private equities in the pension, well, pension funds mainly, but other places too. So let's let's focus on this shift um, because basically what this professor is saying is that like it, around 2003, pension funds shifted a lot of their money from the normal sort of old investments that they were making into these new investments, hedge funds and private equity. And, right. And the question is why did they want to shift their money into private equity firms? But before we even answer that question, <laughs> what, is what private are equity? private equity firms? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, private equity firms, first of all, it's a very large umbrella category. They include all sorts of things. But the main concept that I think people are most familiar with is the leveraged buyout, which is essentially private equity firm uses a lot of credit or they borrow a lot of money to buy companies. And they take these companies private. Generally, they're publicly traded companies on the stock exchange. They take them private. They try to reorganize them, restructure them. Sometimes they put in new managers. You know, they break them up. They do whatever. And then they sell them back into the marketplace, ideally for a really great profit. Right. And there's there's a couple of sort of spectacular success stories with, with, with uh, leveraged buyouts and private equity firms, right? Right, right. There's a, one case that someone pointed out to me, THL, which is a private equity firm for Thomas H. Lee Partners, in 1992 bought Snapple, the drink, you know, that we all know very well, for $135 million. And apparently the way they did that is THL really built up its brand during those two years. You know, I mean, it became a drink that we all really know now, I mean, in that early 90s period. The chances are that the reason you, our listeners, know what Snapple is is because of this actual leveraged buyout and private equity firm doing this deal. Right. So, so it's clear then from the pension fund manager's point of view why they want to be involved with private equity. Um, but the opposite is true too, right? If I'm running a private equity firm, I really, really want access to pension funds. Talk about that. Private equity firms want pension fund money because pension funds are just these enormous pools of capital. And, you know, it's, it's you know, as we were saying earlier, it's every everyone from, you know, the firefighter to the DMV worker to the garbage collector putting their money into this pool, the municipalities adding money to this pool. In New York State, the pension fund is valued right now at $110 billion. Now, just to put that into context... That's more than the combined total of the largest charitable foundation in the world, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and the two largest university endowments in the world, Harvard's and Yale's. Combined. Combined. So it's it's more than that. I mean, it's like $20 billion more than that. There's a lot of money there. Private equity wants a piece of it. Right. And then the other thing that's attractive about a pension fund is a pension fund has sort of long-term commitments, so it can invest its money over a long period of time. So so if I'm a private equity firm, I can get money from a pension fund and then keep that money for five, ten years right, and right. do what I want with it and then get them the money back. So. Right. Essentially, it's a good match. I mean, pension funds don't need the money necessarily tomorrow. You know, they can wait So because they're paying out obligations for many, many years to come. And private equity firms want to, because they're essentially buying companies and making them private and restructuring them, they need time to do that. They can't, they're not going to do that in a year. So they need committed funds for, you know, five to ten years. So what you've discovered is that private equity firms 
because they really, really want this pension fund money, they are really willing to jump through a lot of hoops to get that money, right? Yeah, it's a very attractive pool. I talked to a guy, Neil Berger. He is an expert in the alternative investments area, which includes private equity. And he explained this whole process to me, which is pretty unbelievable. A pension fund, typically, you know, uh, dealing with the consultants first. You know, there's a whole network of pension fund consultants. So you have to be you know, in that network or have some connections into that network of pension fund consultants. So to first get a meeting with one of the, with the right pension fund consultants who you can get interested enough to take a look at your fund. You got to keep in mind, these pension fund consultants are bombarded by a million PowerPoint presentations a day. Why are they going to focus on your fund, you know? So it's maybe relationship oriented. Maybe your fund is just exactly what they're looking for. Maybe you're like, Bud Fox in the movie Wall Street, you know, you bring the guy the right box of cigars, you know, you know, who knows, you know, you you have to first get the attention of the pension fund consultant who takes an interest in you and is willing to sit and meet with you. Then you have to have the job of impressing that pension fund consultant enough that he's willing to have a second follow-up meeting, maybe to meet the rest of your team, to meet your chief operating officer. And then you have to have, your product has to be of a certain quality uh, it's a waste of time if you're if you're two people in a garage, you know, trading off of one screen. <laughs> <laughs> We're sitting not in a garage but in a studio with a screen in front of us. We would not be able to pitch to a pension fund. Right. So uh, the point I'm getting here is that like it's a really long involved process. You've got these all these people surrounding the pension fund that you have to sort of get through, and then you have to show basically that you have what it takes and two people like us sitting in a room we don't we don't have what it yeah, takes yeah yeah no it takes a, a little bit more than brains and desire they're looking for infrastructure they're looking for they're looking at business risk first and foremost they want to see offsite locations they want to see backup systems redundancy they want to see uh, personnel they want to see a chief operating officer they want to see a chief financial officer they want to see audits by mainstream auditors. They want to see independent third-party administrators. They want to see, you know, protocols like dual signatories to withdraw money, to transfer money, you know, all of the things that make you an institutional quality hedge fund. So if you don't know what they're looking for uh, and you don't have those things, it's a waste of time. So uh, that's the first challenge. Then once you've got... <laughs> yeah. Boy, it really does take a lot. Yeah, actually, really... Neil Berger probably talks, you know, he's, this, this cut of tape goes on for several minutes, actually. Neil Berger was going through every single layer and step that you need to do, what you need to do as a fund to get money from a pension fund. Right. Um, but he, he, he eventually says there is a reason that you jump through all these hoops. The pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is that once you finally made it through that whole, you know, process, the checks are big. The initial checks are big, and it's it's sticky money. Sticky money. I love the, <laughs> I love these finance terms. You know? um, okay, so so the ideal world here um, seems pretty great, right? You've got like you've got this, this sort of match made in heaven. You've got pension funds who are looking for nice long-term returns. You've got these private equity funds that can sort of take that money and invest it and make these great, great returns. Right. Um, it seems pretty, pretty nice, but obviously we are not in an ideal world, as your reporting <laughs> has showed, right? We're in a right. world rife with scandal. Um, right. So let's, let's, let's get to that scandal. Okay. So, you know, as I said earlier, the feds and the New York attorney general are investigating these people in the middle, 
there are people who basically operate between the pension fund and the private equity firms, and they're called placement agents. They actually are people who work on behalf of the private equity firms. I mean, they are, they're essentially like their marketing arm, their fundraising arm. Like brokers, um, basically. Yeah, like brokers. They only get a cut. They only make money when they, when they are able to raise money. So mm-hmm. if they raise money for you, they get a cut of that. So if I'm a placement agent, I'm working with a private equity fund, I say I, I get the private equity fund money from a pension fund, then I get a cut of yeah, that money. Yeah, you get a cut of that money. You get one to 1% to 2%. But the scandal here has to do with placement agents that were very closely associated to the pension fund, which is not I see. So they're playing both sides of the fence a little <laughs> right, bit. Right, 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 right. right, right. right. So that's, that's where the alleged corruption happened. So, so Lisa, let's just step back for a moment here and look at this whole situation. Um, because the placement agent scandal is part of a little bit of this larger system, right? Where you've got the, the, the people who are running the pension funds, they're elected officials on sort of government salaries. But then the people who are actually managing the pension fund money are these Wall Street types, private equity firms, you know, broker dealers, that sort of thing with who come from this world of money. Right. And I talked to a former controller of the New York State Pension Fund about that exact issue. His name is Carl McCall. You have a real problem here. This is a statewide office, a very important office, but it's an office that doesn't get a lot of attention. And many people, many voters simply do not know what the controller does. I was controller for nine years, and and at that point I ran for governor. We did polling. We did uh, focus groups, and people simply didn't know what the controller did. They knew that it had something to do with money. So therefore, when you have an office that has that kind of low profile, it's very difficult to raise money. Yet it's a very expensive office to acquire. You might have to spend anywhere between a minimum of $5 million to maybe $10 million to get elected. Where are you going to get that money? The only people really who care about this office are the people who do business with it. You hear that, and it's it's amazing because it, it just kind of points to the inherent conflict of interest here, you know, because essentially they're raising money from exactly the people who want to do business with their fund. Right, exactly. Yeah. And then there's another disparity, right? Right. No, I mean, there's the controller is on a fixed income of 151000 Currently, the current controller makes $151,000 a year. Now, just to give you a sense of how much private equity guys make, in 2007... Stephen Schwartzman, co-founder of Blackstone, a private equity firm, made $350 million in salary alone. That's not including the bonus and, you know, actually his company went public that year, too. That's not including any of that. So $150,000 to $350 million. Pretty big difference. Uh, here's Cara McCall. People who are in the public sector have a lot of power, and they dispense that power to a lot of uh, entities and and they get very little of it themselves. And those people who attempted, you know, these are people who attempted, and that's not, not that's unfortunate. And this is exactly what the New York Attorney General has alleged has happened in this lawsuit, that people were tempted and they crossed the line. Right. Now, I get that part. Um, the system is, you know, a little ripe for corruption, right? You've got a lot of money on the one hand, a lot of power on the other, and, you know, that's going to switch hands, right? Right, um, right. But... Corruption isn't necessarily inefficient, right? There's nothing to say. So say I am a private equity guy. I bribe somebody to get access to this pension fund money. I'm still going to need to invest it. And there's no there's no saying that that investment is going to be bad, right? 
Well, yeah, you know, there's no, definitely, there's no saying the investment's going to be bad. That's true. But there's a flip side to that Snapple story that we talked about earlier, that amazing amount of money that they made on, on selling Snapple to Quaker Oats. You know, let's think about another case recently that we've heard a lot about, Cerberus. A private, it's a private equity firm. Yes, yeah. it's a private equity firm. It bought Chrysler, okay, in 2007. And we all know what happened to Chrysler. The Chrysler's in bankruptcy right now. And... So basically, all of the people who invested in Cerberus in that fund at that time, you know, have pretty much been wiped out. Right. So clearly, that's definitely you don't want the Cerberus situation. You don't want Chrysler, right? Right. So is there (laughs) any way to tell from the outside, for the average citizen to tell, is the New York State pension, for example, is it invested more in um, Snapple-like investments or is it invested more in Chrysler-like investments? Is there any way to sort of gauge that from the outside? It's incredibly surprising, but there isn't. Uh, the guy who's managing the pension fund knows where the money's been put. The comptroller. The, the comptroller. But people don't know. Even though this is tax-supported pension funds, people don't know. I asked this exact question of Roy Smith, the professor at NYU. Can the public find this out? This is private information. I mean, even though it's a public pension fund, we can't find it's out. It's a public pension fund, but it's a private investment made by it. And a private investment means it's not public. Wow. Yeah. So private equity firms, one-third of their money comes from public pension funds. It's public money. So they're using public money to buy all these companies, and yet we don't know what companies they're buying. We don't know what companies we own, Alex. Right. It's really it's really amazing when you sort of think about that, like that, like all this private equity, you know, you hear about mergers and acquisitions, you hear about leveraged buyouts. Maybe you know what they mean, maybe you don't, but you hear about it all in the news. And it's really sort of crazy to think that, like, all the money for all that activity is coming from, you know, school bus drivers and DMV employees throughout the you know, throughout the country. Their right. their savings, their their, and from taxpayers like you and me, because we're also paying into these pension funds. Now, there's one final issue here, though, which I think is sort of really interesting from a very macroeconomic level. Right. Right. You had in this. So so what they're describing basically is over a couple of years, a lot of money flowing into private equity firms, a lot of this pension fund money flowing into these private equity firms, and these private equity firms then using that money to buy these companies and reorganize them, hopefully for a profit. But people are talking about a private equity bubble. And basically, the idea is that so much money flowed into these private equity firms, and then they were able to borrow money very cheaply, just like everybody else was in the only part of the decade. So those two forces combined sort of drove up the prices of all these companies that they were buying and trying to restructure and then sell for a higher price later on. And so what might have happened is sort of basically the same thing that happened in the housing market. The prices got bid up, and it's very possible that all these pension funds bought these companies at the top of the market. Right, right, right. No, it was, I mean, an enormous, I mean, if you can just imagine a flood of money coming into this one this one industry at in a very short period of time and you know the uh, i mean 2006 was a record year for private equity deals so 2006 i mean when we think about it now 2006 2007 that was definitely the peak of the market and the thing is that private equity managers are trying to put their investors at ease you know they're trying to say don't worry don't worry. We, we got it covered. Okay. We didn't buy at the top of the market. Our investments are still going to go up in price. They're not going to go down in price. Well, no, they're not saying that necessarily. Maybe they will admit that they're, they bought at the top of the market, but they say, listen, these companies, we're going to hold on to them. 
And who knows? The market could rebound. Hopefully, the market will rebound the next five years. It's sticky money, as we said. It was a five to ten year commitment, so you weren't going to get your money out anyway within mm-hmm. five to ten years. And and there's a potential for for us to still make a profit in this. Now, the problem with that right now is that. Private equity managers are saying that their portfolios are generally down 15%. The stock market is down more than that. They're saying we outperformed the stock market. But they bought companies with a lot of debt. They bought them at the peak of the market. And watchers of this industry, people who are experts in private equity who are watching this, say actually the losses are a lot worse than 15%. So there's just there's a lot of debate on, on it. And and. And because they're going to have to hold on to these companies longer, because they bought at the peak of the market, they're going to have to hold on much longer. They're not going to be able to reuse that money before they could buy a company, sell it in two years, and then they have that, you know, that Snapple, that, you know, the THL made $1.7 billion, and they re, they just reinvest that money and buy another company. They can't do that anymore. They're going to have to hold on to those companies much longer. And because it's sort of an opaque world, it's hard to tell right now if pension funds are facing big, big losses in this private equity world or not. And why that matters to to you and me, Alex, is that pension funds are obligated by law to pay those retirement savings that they promised that firefighter when he joined the fire department. We have to, as taxpayers, we have to pay that pension to that firefighter. So if the funds don't do well, then we're on the hook, taxpayers. Tax- as it seems to be the familiar refrain throughout this crisis, <laughs> the taxpayers are ultimately the right. ones. And, and the you know, I mean, the thing is that right now, city city budgets, town budgets, they're all suffering. And just at the time that they're suffering, when they're not getting like the tax revenues that they were expecting, they are also going to have to potentially pay more into the pension fund. And so, you know, I mean, it, that means fewer services for us. I mean, and all the rest. I mean, right, right. Wow, it's really it's really an amazing sort of glimpse into this world, and something that I feel like most people it's 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 like a lot of this stuff in finance, it's all around you, but you don't really know, you don't really realize that it's there. Right, right, yeah. right, and how you're connected to Snapple. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, Lisa Chow, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It was a pleasure, a pleasure having you here. Thank you, Alex. You can send your photos or comments to our blog, npr.org/money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. Thank you for listening. <laughs>